Welcome to Sober Nation FM, a podcast network dedicated to sharing experience, strength, and hope so that you may continue to live your best life of recovery. The Sober Podcast Network is brought to you by Sober Nation. Do you want to live a healthy, sober life? Sober Nation is the world's leading online recovery community. Find support, resources, stories of hope, and even an online treatment program at SoberNation.com. Live a happy life. Be comfortable in your skin and join the recovery movement. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. Now enjoy today's episode. The hell that I was in, I'd do anything to be better. I thought like a lunatic. You kind of just have like that little bit of hope that it will get better. You're going to make it. This began my surrender. I am a witness of my own growth. It's a life beyond your wildest dreams. And I just have to say, it works if you work it. My story, that's what I share. You're listening to Far From Finished, a weekly podcast where we share new real-life stories of hope and triumph told by the people who live them. Part two of this real-life experience in recovery. It's interesting because this is one I wish I could take credit for, but in my, the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, this is how ingenious drug addicts are. But maybe it, maybe I was at that time. Like, I remember going into court and the, the my public defender was like, dude, you're going to have like a five-year joint suspension, which means if like, you get in any trouble, you're going to prison and, you know, five years probation. And I was like, dude, if you send me five years probation, bro, I'm going to end up in prison. I'd rather be dodging bullets in Iraq. And at this point, we were in the middle of war. And he goes, really? Oh, okay, cool. He's like, do you mean that? And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll list in the military right now. I don't want to fucking deal with probation. He's like, okay, cool. Goes inside, <laughs> tells the judge, tells the DA, he goes, the kids will need to go up to the military. And I went that day. He said, go, you need to get a letter from the recruiter. Recruiter, And at this time, I didn't know there was a loophole. The loophole was that I was on probation. They couldn't make me enlist. So the only thing they had was my word. And we know at that point, my word was shit. But they gave me the letter. They said, and they told the judge, you can't say that you're letting him off these charges because we wrote this letter because he'll be automatically dismissed from the Marine Corps. And I was like, fuck yeah. I'm, I was like literally down. I was like running. I was like ready to go to the Marine Corps. I got really high and turned myself in. And they gave me a six-month sentence in county jail. Now, anyone who knows LA County Jail knows it's, they call it the biggest mental, mental institution in the world. And if you don't have a violent offense, that six-month sentence, I served five days. Now, what they do when they let you out is they go, they let you get dressed and then they go, well, we're not letting you out. We're going to give you work release. And at this point, psychologically, you are, you're already out. You're, you're let go. You've been released from prison. So no one is like, fuck that. I'm not going to do work release. And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll do work release. It was like 15 days. And um, I ended up getting out, doing the work release for like 10 days. And I was like, I threw myself off a ladder and then I was on like workman's comp for the LAPD and said like, it was your guy's fault because it was working around horses. And I was like, I told them a horse bucked me. I'm like, the horse, the horse's name was Boomer and they knew the horse didn't like me. The horse didn't like me. And I like, I threw myself on the ground and like put like hay all over me one day and I was like, Boomer boomed me, you know, it was like, he hit me. 
And then like, dude, like, give me a fucking break. And then I threw myself off the ladder and like started screaming in there and they had to take me to the hospital. I was like a piece of shit. I don't ever question that. And I got, um, uh, I got out of, uh, I got out of the work release, but like during this whole time, the the army recruiters had saw that I got released. They were keeping. I I just stopped. I changed my phone number. I stopped answering my phone. I was like, dude, I I was just off selling drugs again, and I was back in like the um, the whole pill thing. And I ended up. I was having seizures. I had five seizures. I had a ground mall seizure, and my heart stopped. I had a seizure. The first seizure I ever had. I was in the between the border of Burbank and Glendale. And my friend was doing this real estate shit. He's like, I need you to pass out this paperwork. This is my crop zone. And I was like, okay, cool. And he's like, I'm going to go do the other street. And I did the whole street. And he's like, I didn't do the other street because he was going to buy me breakfast that day or some shit. He was just sitting in his car. He was telling me he was doing a different street. He was just chilling. And he gave me the extra packets. And I walked down one more street. And I kind of got, it's like when you stand up too fast. That's what it was like before I had a seizure, like the little lights like this, like the whatever. Um, and I spilled out, woke up, covered in blood. And when I woke up, I saw Burbank and Glendale police and a, um, a fire truck. And the only thing I always remember is like, how old are you? I was like four. That's exactly the first thing I said. I was like, four years old and I was covered in blood. I was like, holy shit, I fucking killed somebody. This is going to be like a bad situation. I'm like, dude, you got a seizure. And I went to the hospital. They had some counselor come in. I was like, fuck you, bitch. I'm not going to stop doing drugs. Like, totally. I was literally out of my mind. Um, I'm probably like 22 years old at the time. Go back home. And then we went out later that day. And I was playing uh, Marvel versus Capcom. And in the middle of me killing some dude, I leaned back and had a grandma seizure. My heart stopped two seizures in one day. Um, same old shit. I'm not going to do anything. I ended up going to treatment one other time. No, two other times. Walked out of treatment. Um, I was getting loaded in treatment one of the other times. And then finally, like, came back. From the last time, there, there's, I went through treatment twice in like a 60-day span. Came back home, and I just started selling drugs again. I was doing the same thing for about a year. I had a couple more seizures in between that time. And then one of my friends got arrested by the police and called me from jail and said, hey, you have my prescription. And I was like, no, I don't have anything. Don't call me. That call probably ended up saving my life, but I really wanted to murder that dude after I basically, like two days later, I was walking down the street and I got pulled over by the police. And at this time, I was rolling around with backpacks filled with prescriptions. And they're like, oh, this date's like six. How do you, how come you have three bottles that are like four months apart and they're all full? And I was like, oh, like, I don't know what happened. And one at this point, I was pretty burnt out on like just like the using, going in and out, like of treatment. And I basically, the cop was like, listen, we know what you've been up to. We know you've been selling drugs for a long time. And I was getting away with a lot of shit because of my mom's mental health issues and because my best friend's dad was like a bourbon cop. And ultimately what ended up happening was I, um, he's like, listen, we're going to get a warrant. We're going to take you to jail. We're going to search your house. You can sign this piece of paper right now. And, um, 
give us the right to just go up and search your house and we'll like take that into consideration but you're kind of fucked and at that point i knew he was full of shit there was really nothing they could have done but i was just like tired and i signed the paperwork i got whisked off with five patrol cars they searched my whole house and this one cop hated me because for years i kept getting away with stuff just constantly getting away with stuff constantly getting away with stuff and he's like i got him now he was like a rookie now he's a sergeant and he's like i got this motherfucker and He's like smiling, like he's, he's, he's ready to get like a promotion or something. And the senior officer had showed up. And at this point, this guy was a rookie like 15 years earlier when my mom was heavily going in and out of mental institutions. And the guy walks up to me and he goes, listen, bro, like the situation that we have right now is like you could, I had like these giant jars of Norcos. I used to just have like, bottles of them and um he's like you could go to you can go to prison right now you know he's like but i'm not going to do that to you. your life's kind of been fucked up with your mom and i'm not going to be the one to send you away you need to get the fuck out of here we know what's going on they left me with all my drugs i had a little stash that they didn't find it wasn't a little stash i had a stash that they didn't find but what they found was a serious like i was like left me with all my drugs and I made a phone call to this dude. It was the only person I knew sober. He's a, I, he came and made amends to me while I was loaded. And I was like, I remember I had a hatchet under my bed. And I was like, I'm going to fucking kill this guy. Because he had stolen so much shit from me that I didn't know about. Because I was so like loaded on drugs. But there was something about it at that time. I don't know. Maybe I respected him. Maybe it was just him getting honest. Like I, I took it and I was like, you know what? We're good. Like Let it roll. It is what it is. Even when I was hanging out with him. And um, he's like, yeah, I called him. And I was like, listen, I'm kind of in a fuck situation. I called my aunt because we didn't come for money, but my aunt had paid for that first treatment. She's like, I'll pay for you for a month in a place. And I called this guy up. And this is, this is kind of where everything kind of shifted. And I call this guy up and he goes, yeah. He's like, yeah, brother, just like, you know, you want to get sober? I'm like, yeah. I was like, and at this point I was taking, I was on any type of opiate, methadone, fentanyl, Suboxone. I was taking Suboxone. People tell me you can't get high on Suboxone. I was getting high on Suboxone. I was blown out of my mind on drugs. And he's like, he's like, what do you mean? Detox? And at this time, it wasn't like it is now. There wasn't like, there was like state-funded detox. And like, you got to like kind of figure out. I was like, dude, I'll just detox it. I was like, you sure? And I was like, yeah. He's like, don't trip, man. We got this, we got a hot tub upstairs. You just like chill out at the house and um, it's going to be all good, bro. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm like, I'm, I'm down with that. And he sounded like, he's like, he's like kind of sounded like a cooler, younger dude. So I was like, all right. Got super high the night before and the day of, and then I dropped myself off at treatment. Well, it wasn't treatment. It was a structured sober living. And I was like, cool, because I hated treatment anyway. So I was like, sober living sounds good. And uh, I checked in. I remember I went upstairs. They searched all my shit. I went upstairs, and I was like, I'm going to sleep. I went to sleep, and they woke me up, and they're like, it's dinner time. I was like, oh, cool. I have like family dinner every night. I remember, I remember I'm like sitting down, made my plate, and then we're sitting, dinner's going, and I'm like, I hear like positive. And someone reads off the positive. It's about some member in the house, and it's like, concerned. Joey, you didn't do this. I was like, okay, cool. Like, they like, there's like reinforcement here or some shit. Next thing is, like, I see some dude's hand go up, and he's like, dude, what the fuck are you thinking? And it was one of the house residents, and I was like, 
I didn't sign up for this shit. You know, like the first I remember being like, what the fuck is going on here? Because this is like, I thought I'd expect it from the dude who was running the house because he was a little out of his mind. Um, but I didn't expect it from like one of the residents. And it was like, uh, it basically was like a behavior modification. I don't like saying it because I ended up running the place, but it was a behavior modification, sober living. It was geared towards like long-term long-term sober living year-long program and it was like the level of accountability was uh, I just had never seen that like there was stuff I had thought about saying to people but like those dudes were saying it to each other in a way that was for the most part like constructive in the manner of trying to get them to shift their perspective and change their lives and I remember the one group I always remember I sold drugs out of my grandma's house and he was like He's like, dude, you are, you're, he said something along, like, that's some, sh you're, you're a straight bitch. Like that, and like, at that point, it was, it was, it was extremely tactful. He was definitely out of his mind. It was like a clinician today would have been like, that really wasn't a good move for you to fucking say. But he was like, you're a straight bitch. And I was like, I remember visioning throwing the chair across the dinner table, but if you saw him, you're like, I wouldn't throw the chair at this dude because it's going to turn into a real dicey situation. And the way he ran the group, you're like, you know, I was like, well, what the fuck does that mean? And I kind of woofed up a little bit. And he's like, well, let's look at it. He's like, you were living in your grandma's house, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, so you would have like heroin addicts and these motherfucking pillheads coming through your grandma. Because I told him, my like, grandma lived in the living room because she didn't trust anybody, so she wanted to see everyone who came through the house. So you'd have them come in, they'd meet your grandma, say, yeah, he goes, is that some bitch shit? And I remember when he said it, I was sitting there and I was really pissed, but it's like one of those instances where like you, I think like for some, some people who get sober or like, you know, drug addicts, like eventually you're kind of faced with yourself. I think it's part of the process in terms of doing like 12 step work and stuff. There's some shit you have to look at. You don't want to look at. And I had to look at that person in the mirror and I was like, yeah, it is some bitch shit. I'm, I was, I'm, I was acting like a bitch. And it was a thing that for me, I needed to kind of bruise my ego to get me opened up enough to see that there was a lot of other shit that I just didn't really know about myself. You know, areas where I compromise my integrity, where I would lie and manipulate in situations. I just didn't even, I my frame of mind was like, I knew I was manipulative, but I didn't even know the extent. I can be manipulative. I learned in that, that spot that I could be manipulative just by the way I look at someone or roll my shoulder off, like nonverbal communication. And then be like, like you'll be like, you know, someone be giving you feedback and you just be like, roll your eyes or some shit. I'm like, what the fuck is that? What do you, what's your problem? How do you not understand that? What do you mean? I didn't even say anything. Yeah, you said something. You just didn't say it. You know what I mean? You don't agree with it. Tell us why you don't agree with it. Because, you know, the fact of the matter is, is like you were flatlining from seizures, you know, six months ago. And now you kind of got an attitude about your dishes here, you know, and that I think for me, I needed that. I feel like a lot of people need it, whether they're sober or not, the reality of the situation um, so I went through that program for a year, like it was probably a little longer than a year. And, um, I was forced, I was forced in certain respects. I mean, I held on to my seat. But there was stuff I, I always like to say, like, you know, I just laugh when I go into 12 step meetings and people are like, you know, I earned this seat, you know, I don't, I don't carry that perspective. I think I'm, 
lucky to have had it and a lot of it it was forced um because i wasn't i mean as much as i like to say i was open-minded or willing and regurgitate a lot of spiritual bullshit i didn't know what any of it meant it was just like okay this i'm gonna let go and let god like i don't even know what the fuck that means you know like i'm just saying because 15 other people said it and then that was like the stuff where i was like really get in tune with who I was. And like, the, I, I think for me, the number one thing was when I got sober, I didn't want to be sober. When I landed in that house, I was not planning on getting sober. The story I always tell when I speak at 12 step meetings was like, when I got sober, like we go like a scale, right? I told the guy, I go, Sam, when I leave this place, I'm selling drugs. I don't give a fuck. Like I, I'm trying to get through college so I can do some shit with my life. So I go here, I'm selling drugs. So this shit's like all fucked up in the spiritual scale. Right? The spiritual self, you're selling drugs and you're trying to be sober, like you're not really spiritual and doing really well. I go, but here's the deal, though. I'm going to use the drug money to pay for like a $500 a month cheesy bullshit sober living when they want me out of the fucking house all day. And I'm going to go to school full time. I'm going to use the drug money I'm saying I'm making too to pay for college because I'm poor. I can't pay for college. My aunt is not going to do that shit. And I go, but even then, like, the scale's not, like, equal. It's still a little lopsided because I'm selling drugs. I go, but the, the real spiritual component here is I'm going to sponsor mad dudes in the program. I'm not going to tell them I sell drugs. People get drugs anyways. This is, like, something I'm doing to nurture my recovery. And my, but every, I remember the director was like, dude, you're a fucking idiot, dude. That's, like, the first thing he said to me. You're a fucking idiot, man. And I was like... I had to sit with that. It took, that was, I told them probably like 60 days in. I was like, I won't get loaded there. I wouldn't have gotten loaded there. They, they floated me. They scholarshiped me the whole time I was there. And um, I ended up uh, at six months, there was this meeting, uh, log cabin, I remember. And then at the outside of the meeting, there was a dead end sign. And I remember one morning, I was working this job in uh, pavilions. And, um, in a grocery store and um i remember looking at this sign and it said like i was thinking about selling the drugs and i saw the signs like one of these weird hokey ass stories that i hate hearing in like 12-step meetings and stuff like that but like i like, was thinking about selling the drugs da, 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 and i looked and i saw the dead end sign and i was like oh wait i'm gonna be like a loser the rest of my life you know and that for me was my only fear in terms of me getting sober i just didn't want to be a I had no interest in staying sober. I think I learned more through the process in that sober living with those guys who were like pulling my covers and holding me accountable and teaching me what it meant to be a direct, to be direct with people and be like a man in recovery. You know, and a lot of these dudes didn't have much more time than me. They just weren't afraid to speak to me like clearly about what my shit was and give me an opportunity to work on it. So, um, at around um, eight months, what was it? Ten months, I started managing that place, and I was like, okay, this is, like, kind of cool. I went back to school, and when I went back, it was crazy because my aunt had spent some, she had spent money on treatment and shit, and I was like, I made amends to her, and she was like, listen, like, if you want to make amends and, like, see it through, because for us, the amend was, she's, like, 27 years sober, and she's like, the amend for me is more about you changing your behavior, and she was like, listen, you want to make the amend for me, like, you need to go back to school, 
like that, that'll like clear up your financial amend with me and you go back to school. So I was like, cool. I went to SMC and I didn't want to be there at first at SMC. And it's kind of funny because it's, it's like shows you like my sobriety. I didn't want to be sober either, but like I ended up going through SMC and like initially I was like, I'm going to take business and like through like 12 step and like going through the house. They're like, dude, you just got to stay true to yourself and like do what feels right. Regardless of people are like, dude, because I like was interested in psychology, but everyone's like, you're not going to make any fucking money doing that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to make any money. Um, so I tried to take a couple of business. I was like, dude, I'm doing psychology. I can't stand this shit. And I ended up going to school for psychology. And I remember um, doing two years and like a year in, I was like, Fuck, I like school. Like, this is cool. I was like, now I'm developing relationships with the professors. It's kind of branching away from like being super immersed in only 12 step heavy recovery stuff. And this teacher was like, dude, like, uh, you do the scholars program. I did the scholars program. I had like a 3.9 GPA when I left there, which for me, I was like fucking, I had like one B when I was there, you know? And I ended up getting into UCLA. Now, like to like just rewind through all this other bullshit I went through coming from like a poor, definitely dysfunctional family where we were living off food stamps. I try to explain it a lot. When people, when I graduated, people were asking me, are you so happy graduations come? Like, dude, this is like a big moment for you. And I said, yeah, but I kind of feel like an asshole. And no one ever understood that. And I go, because I'm not that excited about graduating. I go, when I got into UCLA, though, was so far out. I didn't think I was going to get into UCLA. Every school I actually applied to, I got into. But UCLA was like my, 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 my like mecca like if I got into that shit like I just it was nothing that I was had ever like they, you'll hear people in 12 step meetings be saying like you'll have a life beyond your wildest dreams and I don't believe in that shit I can't stand hearing it but I believe in you'll have a life that you didn't even really dream about you know because I didn't want any of that shit I didn't think I wanted it. I thought I didn't want it and then I ended up in UCLA and getting into it was so much bigger. Because once I got into it, I was like, I can do this. You know what I mean? The fact that I got into it is like kind of a big deal. And I went through school and uh, I managed. I remember when I was going through UCLA, I had this counselor who like advocated for me so tough, wrote me like this crazy letter of recommendation, which probably played a part in terms of me getting into UCLA. And she was like, Chris, you're not going to be able to manage a full-time job and go to school full-time at UCLA. I'm going to tell you right now that that's not going to happen. I, you know, you could try, but it's not. I was like, yeah, all right. And back of my head, I'm like, she's out of her mind. Like, that's not going to happen. And I ultimately went to UCLA. I managed a full-time job, full-time school. I had, you have to take a full-time load because I was in uh, school full-time to get my, uh, the grant money. So I ended up. There's actually one time when I was in UCLA, I was like, I'm grateful I grew up poor in my life because I ended up going to school for, I got no debt from UCLA. I went to school for free and I got to learn a lot about just like, in terms of like, you know, my perspective when I got sober was like very much like, oh, like 12 step, the valley, like it was confined to like this small area in Los Angeles. There wasn't anything broader than I mean, I couldn't see out of it and like going to school, taking cultural anthropology, education classes, being introduced to people like 
you know, Pablo Fiere, Bell, Bell Hooks, like these super influential, like thought people, like it kind of expanded my perspective and all of this stuff, like I didn't, I mean, I had no interest in it prior. And like, I kind of had like this, uh, I don't know, like weird, like awakening or like in terms of like 12 step, they taught like a spiritual experience where like there's a personality change and like even through school, it like kind of changed, you know, again. And, you know, after school, I'd saved up all this money. And during this time, I was running the house. I was working like super tough. I was running, you know, at times five, six hour groups at the house every night, like four or five nights a week, running one to two hour dinners with guys like, you know, we're talking about like, you know, having to help them develop coping skills, working a 12 step program. How am I leading by example, having the model behavior for guys, managing another manager and then communicating with other staff, helping them open other rehabs while I'm in school. And I swear every time I had a final, like the house would implode. Like I felt like they were doing it on purpose. Like when I had finals, they would just like do some crazy shit. And um, like all this stuff was, I was managing all this and like setting a good example for these dudes and developing relationships with their, these families. We would work a ton with families and be communicating, calling them every week. Like, and um, I had saved all this money because I was getting paid to go to college, but I was also making money. So I was actually making money from going to college. I don't know if that really happens for a lot of people because I had the grant money. Like I wasn't going into debt and um, I'd saved up like a, a ton of money and um, graduated and I was like a year out of college and I was like, dude, I'm going to take all money and move to Bali. And I remember I was talking to this mom and she's like, what are you going to do after you leave college? And she was mom of a previous client we had. And I was like, I think I'm just going to move to Bali. And she's like, you shouldn't do that. And I was like, what? She's like, you're like, you're, you have a gift with, uh, with families, you know, you're capable of like, um, at this point, I had gotten really good at like dealing with really codependent and helping families, like helping illuminate issues in family dynamics that they really couldn't recognize in a way that wasn't super aggressive. Um, and she was like, you need to like figure out something to continue doing what you're doing. And at this point, I was like, okay, like, maybe I'll just start like my own recovery house. So I was like, yeah, maybe I'll just do that, you know? And um, uh, I had, there was a kid who went through the house and he had started this company with vape before it like had even started. He came to me, he's like, you think I should start this? I was like, yeah, do it. In the back of my head, I'm like, this guy's an idiot. I, I think it's like the dumbest shit ever. And he ended up starting this company, he ended up spending like $2 million in the month, right? So I'm like, oh wow, why didn't I give him like five grand at that point, like start a babe company. But it was weird because it's interesting how things come full circle. Mind you, this client I'm talking about was a lazy slob. He, and I tell him that to his face to this day, like where he's come from um, is like actually trips me out, to be honest with you. So this guy was in the house the longest to this day. Program's 12 months long. He was in the house 20 months long because the program's really contingent of pure growth and through development and stuff like that. It's not like you leave at 12 months. You get your privileges at this time. It's contingent upon you growing in the program. We don't, they're the same as we don't barter with terrorists. So he ends up getting this business and then 
you know, I go to my boss and it's like, you know, I think he's, they, these two guys mentored me and I told him, I said, you know, I think I want to start my own place. And he goes, yeah, that's cool. Like do that. And then like two weeks later, he goes, um, you know what? Just hold off. Wait another year. We're going to turn the house that you're in right now into a rehab. We're not going to do this anymore. You should just carry on the legacy of what we're doing here. And I was like, cool. Can I keep the plaque in my house? And yeah, keep doing what we're doing. And I ended up going to have lunch with the old graduate who was the sloth. And he was like, hey, I need to like, I need to buy a house. I need to do something to invest this money that I'm making. Hey, I need a sober living. So we, for like four months, we were looking for sober living. We ended up finding this place and um, I started it, right? And it was like, um, they gave me all the clients from the first place. So we already had the culture and it just kind of, you know, it started to blossom from there. And it was the same thing. It was just different because it was mine and it was a lot of, you know, changing up like the model, working even more with families and learning, taking the dynamic that we had within the house and trying to create it within families where the house at that time was utilizing the model where like the peers drove everything, the peer feedback, utilizing peer feedback. And um, uh, spending time, um, you know, it just went from that and then getting families to do that with each other and creating a mentor program for the families. So now families are kind of pulling each other's covers about like, what work they need to do and Alan on stuff like that. And then I got to branch out and I've been like, it's kind of taking me areas where like, I didn't even know. I mean like, you know, one uh, doing like um, different consulting work and working with like, even if it's not, even if I'm not stuff, I'm not even getting paid for just working with families. I've been interventions and been put in places where like, you know, like I was like this, you know, pill head junkie heroin addict, who was like a dumpster to where like now I'm like telling families what boundaries they need to set with their kids because they're killing them. You know what I mean? I think for me, the, I think the gift is actually working with families. And there's a thing I always talk about with guys and I, and I frequently use it. And it's something my mentor told me and he goes, you know, these are because the guys I always would work with were like a lot of failure to launch cases. What that means is they've been through like multiple treatment centers and they're not kidding me. And I try to talk, when I talk to them, I said, try to imagine, I go, I'm, I'm a guy, I'm never really going to understand that. Maybe I'll understand a little more when I have a kid, but for a woman, try to imagine your moms because the majority of the time I was dealing with, with moms. Try to imagine your mom like laying here, right? You're in her arm and she's like breastfeeding you. Like, you know, you're like out of her womb. She like literally just cooked you for nine months, carried you everywhere. You don't understand. No male is ever going to understand the psychological effect that's going to have on her, right? So you're like here, her bundle of joy, you guys are like locking eyes. You're, you're, she's literally feeding you from her body. And then like, you know, she watches you, you take your first steps, they let the seat go, you ride the bike, first day of school, all this stuff. And then Little Frankie just got caught robbing the house. And now little Frankie needs to go to rehab. You don't even they, they don't they don't even understand that, you know? And like being in a place where I feel like I'm kind of like a conduit between the family and the client a lot of time, or even if it's not the client, or a, a, a sponsee or someone and teaching them like, hey dude, like you don't really even realize the impact it's having on people. 
And I think that's for me, like dealing with, I like love dealing with families. A lot of times the only people who are grateful when you're like working with people who like either it's 12 step work, whether it's working with families and work work, whether it's working with family through a family friend who they talk to you a lot of time, the families uh, are the only ones who express gratitude because a lot of time it's a thankless job and you see a lot of people go out, even like sponsoring people in AA and stuff like that. It's been like, you see so many people die, even like yesterday, two people died, you know, that I knew of. one of them was like a marketer for a major treatment center. You know what I mean? So it's like you never know. And I think like the gift is like, I think for me is just like being able to spread the awareness and not be like, I, I think it is a source of hope. Like for me, like I, I, I kind of look back on like, so we like, I always uh, think it's important. Like, why do we talk about our story? You know, like I think for me is like everyone's we there's someone who may identify with my story there's someone who's like that's not even that traumatic like it doesn't even matter i don't think my story made me a drug addict it's kind of where i came from it's how i developed certain coping skills or didn't develop certain coping skills and utilize them to justify my using but the one thing like through everything that i'm most grateful for is actually going into that foster and it's a trip that I think back on it like that. And I don't know if it's because of the program. I think it might have even been before then. Is because I learned how to communicate effectively with people from all walks of life and not be like super judgmental. I laugh when people tell me they don't judge people because like we've evolved to kind of judge people to tell if they're like safe or comfortable. And this is probably where like my research kind of comes into play a little bit more but I think more of it for me now is not being dictated by the judgment especially with families sometimes or working with other people um I'm just like uh I think the the, the gratitude for that because I was like it's a trip like people like you used to do drugs like how like no like I was not a vision for you I was nothing and no one really wanted to be around i was like i'm 6'4 i was 165 when i got into treatment i kind of sit at 205 now 165 6'4 doesn't look appealing you know what i mean that's something when you see walking down the street with a shaved head and long lanky arms you're like we need to run from that shit because it looks like a crackhead so when i talk to guys about who are on the fence with treatment because i was on the fence with treatment i didn't want treatment is like if you're on the fence about treatment, keep making decisions on your own. See where they land you. And when you get to a place that you don't want to like engage in that shit, or maybe you're at that place now. Maybe you can look back on the decisions you've been making and see how that's really landed you where you're at. Um, maybe you might want to try to be open-minded because like, if you're seeking treatment to begin with, there's probably a your problem you know that's like the number one thing like if like people who like are killing it at life and then you can be killing it financially but if you're picking up the phone to seek treatment you might want to go to treatment i mean really that's like kind of like uh, <laughs> this is, speaks for itself